Well, we are in a series right now through Lent in Psalm 23 that we are calling Life Without Lack. It's based on the first verse of this wonderful psalm and also a book by Dallas Willard. So part of this, what we're doing is we're going through the psalm a verse at a time all the way up through to Holy Week, but we're also giving you guys an opportunity to memorize Psalm 23 and spend time praying through Psalm 23 every morning. So we said we recommend something like 10 uh, minutes of silent prayer and reflection Psalm 23. My hope is that you would memorize Psalm 23 to where tonight we're going to recite it in a, in a couple of seconds. But I hope that that's been meaningful to you. Dallas Willard talks about how when we memorize Scripture, it's more powerful than just simply having a quiet time or devotional time in the morning because you can carry your devotional time or your quiet time with you throughout the day if you memorize Scripture. You can call it to mind. You could memorize. You could uh, uh, bring it to memory throughout your day. So it's a pretty powerful thing. Hopefully you're doing that. So today we're on verse. We're in verse four, where the the psalm takes a turn into uh, into some darkness. And so, but what I want to do tonight is I want to recite the whole psalm with you. If you haven't memorized, you can close your eyes. You can look up to the heavens. You can l- turn to your neighbor and just look them in the eye the entire time. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, right? So would you stand with me? Let's recite this psalm. If you have not memorized this psalm in NIV, it'll be on the screen. I will lead us through this. We'll take a, uh, like a, 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 like a, a slower cadence as we go through this. Let's just say it, but soak it in as we say it. You ready? And then when we're when done, I will pray. Ready, let's go. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, God. Thank you for this beautiful, wonderful psalm that is not just a prayer. I believe it's truth that you are our shepherd. And when we can say that truly, we can say that we lack nothing. And I know that some of us, for some of us in this room, that's hard to say. Like we can say, God, you're my shepherd, but I have so many things I want. I have so many things I lack. I pray that we would learn today that sometimes through our suffering, you get us to a place where when we realize that you are all we have, we come to this realization that really you are all we need and we lack nothing. We have everything in you. So Lord, would you bring us to this place? Would you teach us? Would you uh, guide me, guide my mind, my heart, Anoint me, Lord. Uh, Teach us tonight by the power of your word. In Christ's name, amen. 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 You may be seated. Some of the the greatest things in life come from the darkest places. I think this is the reality of all organic life. You think about a womb and how dark it is right before birth or a seed buried in the dark earth before it breaks the ground of daylight, or how it's always darkest right before the dawn. 
And I think we know all of this stuff. We kind of know it. We li- we've lived life long enough to know this stuff. And the psalmist David here in Psalm 23, verse 4, says that we as people, or as the metaphor goes, we as sheep are no different from that. We will go through the darkest places in this life. Literally, the Hebrew word that, that David uses here for the darkest places is the Hebrew word shadow death. It's like two words put together, shadow and death put together, even though I walk through shadow death. And make no mistake, when you're reading the psalm, it reads as if the shepherd himself is the one who leads us into the darkest places. Verse 4 is connected to verse 3. It, it acts like a progression. Look at the progression. You ju- we just recited this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And like it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. So God is here making us and leading us and guiding us. He's giving us provision. He's leading us. He's showing us the way. And you're asking, where is all this going? And the where God leads us is right into the darkest valley, even though I walk through the darkest valley. So what this text assumes is that if we are on the right paths with God, if we are walking in step with the good shepherd, If we're living life full of provision and full of green pastures and still waters, it will lead, eventually it will lead to some of the darkest places of our lives. I don't know if you ever realized that. See, dark places of pain and suffering are unavoidable. You cannot avoid pain and suffering. I want you to lock that in. Some of you guys that might have just moved to the city are like, Mother City's amazing. Give it time. Like, lock this into your mind. I mean, you might have, whatever it is, like, you, you might just be living in a, a life where everything has just been amazing in your life. Lock this in. Pain and suffering, even if you're walking with God, especially if you're walking with God, pain and suffering are unavoidable. You will either, well, a couple things, you will either lead yourself into dark places because you're in rebellion or because you're sin or because you're waywardness or because you're stupidity, or if you're not, if you're just walking in step with the Spirit, with God in obedience, He will lead you along the right paths, which will eventually lead to dark places. And God will do this for several different reasons. God will lead you to darkest places of your life because of discipline and good discipline. He wants you to grow up. He wants you to learn something new. Sometimes this is because of character growth. There's parts of your life that are, that are good and not great. There are parts of your life that you need to go deeper. There are parts of your life that are undeveloped. I think I think you might know this. I mean, I'm, I think if you were uh, quiet enough and still enough and put your phone and your computer away for long enough, you know that there's some unresolved depth in your life that you have yet to plumb. There's some places in your life that you've yet to go, and you're like, I'll get there one day, and God says, oh, yes, you will. I will take you there one day. God will take us there. Sometimes this is because of God taking us into those deeper places of dependency on Him. I don't know, honestly, I don't know how all this works, But I know that this text assumes that God is involved in leading us through these dark places. But we don't really like to think about it like that. See, for us who grew up in Western culture, we have been taught that the highest purpose of life, the highest purpose of our life, and this is in the water, by the way. Like, no one, this wasn't, you didn't, like, learn this in homeroom or something in elementary school. This is, like, the air we breathe, the water we swim in. We have been taught in the West that the purpose of life is individual happiness and our comfort and our personal freedom. So there is nothing 
whenever there's a threat to our, our, our personal happiness, our personal comfort, or personal freedom, that is the biggest, that is the biggest no-no in America. Like, you cannot threaten people's freedom or their comfort or their happiness. And so when we go through suffering, this is what makes suffering so traumatic for us. See, in other cultures, uh, the ultimate meaning in life is not individual happiness. In other cultures, it's honor and moral virtue or enlightenment or family name or faithfulness to some truth. And in these cultural narratives, suffering is often seen as as a way to bring meaning to life. But for us in the West, especially us, that value so high individual happiness and comfort and freedom. When suffering happens to us, if we're honest, it is a total interruption in our lives. When we go through suffering, it is something like, like it's ruining our life plan. Suffering is the worst. We see it as a complete misfortune. We even have a, like a cultural phrase that like stuff happens or like, you know, ish happens. Like I won't say it, right? Like we have like, the ha- suffering hits us, it happens in life, it's like accidental hard things are an inconvenience, pain is to be avoided, suffering is to be eliminated. And many of us don't think of suffering as having any possible use. We go through suffering like, what good is this? Why in the world do I suffer like this? And all we want to do with suffering is we want to eliminate it. Or we think our problem is our community or a friend, and so we eliminate our community by leaving. Or our marriage, and we want to eliminate it by divorce. Or if it's a career, to eliminate it by resigning. Or if it's a city, we eliminate it by moving. But what do you do with a God who, who says otherwise? What do you do when you follow a good shepherd who leads you right into the darkest places? When God leads you right into the middle of suffering, right into the middle of pain? And what we often think is that we can solve our way out of hard things, that we can create tech, that we can create advancement to end human suffering. Now, I want to say this. There's nothing wrong with attempting or trying to end human suffering. Christian thought and Christian conscience has been on the forefront of this since, since Christ. But, if, but our preoccupation with ending suffering also is only half of the story. I think our preoccupation with ending suffer, suffering also has a dark underbelly. See, without a biblical worldview of suffering, we will miss out on how pain and suffering can become the very way you become what you're meant to be in life. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you think about the Bible, the Bible is actually an entire book about suffering, as much as about anything else. Suffering enters into the Bible on page three, and it's like full throttle, fifth gear, until like Revelation 20, until the end. (laughs) The whole Bible is difficulty and struggle and pain and suffering. These are all expected parts of the human experience. And what we're told through incredible wisdom books, through narrative, through story, is that the very things, suffering and pain and loss are the very things God uses to shape us. Suffering is the very thing God uses to forge us and to make us who we are to become. Jesus, when God became a human, there was no even exception to this either. When God became a human, he entered into this story. It says this in Hebrews 5, 8. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Every human is, no human's immune to this. This is a part of what it means to be human. You will suffer in this life. And God will use it to teach you obedience. God will use it to forge you. God will use it to make you into who you're supposed to become. So it should come at no surprise, right smack dab in the middle of the most gentle 
and tranquil and beautiful psalm ever. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He, I'm like a little lamby and he like leads me and I'm like on still waters and like I'm eating green grass and then I go through hell like right in the middle of it. Like even though my shepherd leads me through hell. I mean right in the middle there's a bit about suffering. This is this psalm is talking about suffering and how how is it talking about suffering? What does the psalm teach us about suffering? And this is what it says about suffering. That you will go through suffering. Through. It, that's the, by the way, that's the key word. And this just might be obvious to some of you, but don't forget this. The only way out of suffering is through suffering. The only way out is through. Winston Churchill once said, if it feels like you're going through hell, keep going. That's exactly what this is. You will go through suffering. A lot of times we want relief from suffering, we want to get out of suffering, we want to bail, we want to hit the eject button. The only way out of suffering is through it. The only way out is learning what God wants you to learn, to learn the lessons. And here's the thing about it, God will continue to go around and around something and drive you deeper and go around it and drive you deeper and teach you the same lessons over and over again. And we're all different, we're all individual. There might be certain things I suffer through that God's like, yeah, you learned that lesson in 2012, but let's do this again in 2017, okay? And then I got it, like, I got it, I got it down. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but 2022. <laughs> like, we're, but it's going to be deeper this time. It's going to be more rich this time. Because I really want you to get this. I want to form this in you. The only way you become the person you will become, the only way you become a mature soul, have a deep life with God, become a healthy person, is by going through suffering. And suffering feels like dying. It feels like you're in the shadow of dying. The shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, meaning you're so close to it, it feels like it's the real thing. Like, I feel like I'm dying. And it's not an exaggeration. Like, some of you guys are like, I, okay, I'm going through suffering. It feels like I'm really dying. Dying. That's not, I mean, the psalmist here is saying something like that. He's like, even though I go through the, 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 sh- I go through shadow death. Like, he, I don't know if he made up that word or what, but that's a great word. And, and here's the why. why. Why does it feel this way? Why does God not let anyone out of this? This is the journey, y'all. This is the journey. You see, Psalm 23 is about the shepherd as our guide leading us through life, leading us ultimately through this life into the next. By the way, this is the most popular great side, side service verse. If you've ever been to a great side service or a funeral, they read Psalm 23 because there is a good shepherd who leads us from this life through death into the next life. He is faithful to do that. And this is the journey. You can't avoid it. You can't escape it. The Christian life is a journey through and into and through dark places. This will happen. Now, why is this the journey? And I want you guys to know this. I want you to lock this in. This is the journey. You will go through this. You will go through this in your life. If you have not already, you will go through it in different ways. You go through it in various degrees. You will go through it um, as being single, as being married, as having kids. You will go through it in all different stages of your career, you will go through this like journey where you will go through hard times and a lot of these times God will allow you to go through it. He'll lead you right into it. Why? Why is this part of the journey? Well, first, in the darkest valley is where you learn to know yourself. When you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you learn about yourself. Now, let me, what do I mean by this? Well, first of all, suffering exposes Suffering exposes. Suffering can, in a good, in a very, very good way, bring out the worst in you. 
And this is a good thing. When you suffer, some of the, your worst character traits come bubbling to the top. For me, example, when I suffer, I whine a lot. And I am full of self-pity. Like I pity myself. I wake up in the morning going, um, why, this, oh, my life. This is my life. Like, I'm the only one. I can't, like, just full of self-pity, and I, and I whine. I mean, the smallest suffering, like, my stomach hurts, and I'm like, well, I mean, I'm, I, uh, this is it. This is the end. And my wife knows. All, I'm like, just stop whining. Just, if you stop whining, it'll probably get a little bit better. Just stop whining. Or at least I'll get a little bit better if you stop whining. That's me. That's, that, that bubbles to the top, and that's good, because when it bubbles to the top, I can deal with it. Maybe someone in my community can kindly start mentioning this stuff. See, suffering exposes, exposes our weaknesses. It allows our weaknesses to rise to the surface so we can see them, so that our community, our other, other people in our life can start seeing them and pointing them out. It exposes some of us when we get angry or, or we get angry when we suffer. Like anger is what bubbles to the top, and God wants to deal with it. God wants to deal with our anger. We get angry and we're so resentful and so mean-spirited to the people closest to us. We start, we start spewing really angry stuff on social media. Like, we just become angry people. And, and when you're suffering, God rises that to the top so you can see it. Suffering also exposes our fears. Whatever you fear the most will come to the surface when you suffer. It might be under the surface when things are good or your fears aren't, aren't really brought up, but when you start suffering, fears rise to the top and they will come out. And they come out in a good way because God wants to deal with them. Uh, suffering exposes our lack of faith. I think about the disciples in the boat when Jesus was asleep and a storm hit and they freak out and they wake him up by yelling and they yell, don't you even care if we die? I mean, think about that telling Jesus, don't you care if we die? He's like, literally, I'm on this earth because I care. <laughs> like, I'm literally here because I, but, the, and Jesus gets up, and he calms the wind of the waves, and he turns to him like, why do you still lack faith? Suffering exposes our lack of faith. See, I understand a lot of doctrinal truths in my head, and you, you do too. If you guys grew up in church or been a part of this church for a while, there's certain things that you have locked into your mind, but the thing is, is they have not made their ways. These truths have seldom make their way journey down into our hearts, except through disappointment, failure, and loss. And so you think, God is with me. If God is for me, who can be against me? Then you suffer. You're like, where's God? God's like, oh, you knew that as a song. But that wasn't deep in your heart yet. It has to make its way down there. And the way that God gets it down there is through suffering. It's through pain, it's through loss, it's through your failures, it's through all of these things. This is, this is how God does it. This is the formula that he uses. It leads, suffering leads us to examine ourselves and see our weakness. Because suffering brings out, oftentimes, the worst in us. It brings out the weakness of our character when we suffer. It, we, some of us become really bitter when we suffer. Others resentful. Others are full of worry. Others are full of revenge. All these things that happen when you suffer. Next time you're suffering, if you have the capacity, you might not, but bring other people into it and go, what, what is God bringing to the surface? What are the things in my character that God wants to deal with? The second thing about suffering is that suffering clarifies. When we go through the hardest things in our life, it's always strange. Almost all the same stuff happens. When we go through extreme loss in our lives, if we go through extreme pain in our lives, typically what most of us do is take time off of work. We binge on Netflix less. 
We spend more genuine and real time with our family and our community. We go to church more and we pray. Think about that. Think about the clarity that comes when we suffer. All the important things in our life become truly the only thing that we want to give our lives to. Suffering will change our relationship to the good things in our life. We will see where things have become too important to us that we start to bring into focus what our true values are in this life. That's what suffering does. For me personally, through the darkest places that I've ever been in my life over the last three years, and I've been through, this is honestly a really weird teaching to teach right now because I don't feel like I'm in the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest valley. But the weird thing is is that I've, I've felt like I was in the darkest valley for probably the last three years of my life. And so I can tell you this, that for the last three years of my life, if I was teaching this text then, I would have a lot more emotion. I might like even get choked up, whatever. I might like be in the middle of it. And what, I, what I've learned about suffering is that, that a, lot of, a lot of clarity about what I want my life to be about came into focus. When I, when I was going through suffering, the person that I wanted to become, the kind of marriage that I wanted to have became, became very clear to me. Like, when I was suffering, this is who I want to be. When I'm 50, this is the kind of person I want to be. When I'm 60, this is the kind, of, when I retire from, from uh, my, the pastorate, this is the kind of person I want to be. This is the kind of marriage I want to have. This is the kind, and, and, and it just brings it into clarity. That didn't happen by me going to a seminar. That didn't happen by me reading a book. It happened when I was going through the dark places. There was a season in my life um, over the last three years where I hit the hardest place I've ever been in my marriage. Now, some of your guys' marriages and some of your marriages will be easy. Some of you guys will get married and somehow everything will come together and you will marry the most compatible person ever and you're like, we don't fight and everyone will hate you. But that will be, <laughs> lit- I know people, every time they're in the room, they say, oh, we don't fight. Everybody's like, oh, you know, like you're, <laughs> you're the worst, whatever. So, but some marriages are really, really easy. Like, they come easy, and God, uh, that's amazing. God bless you. Yeah, you're amazing. (laughs) But for others, marriage is really, really hard. To be married to another human person with their own thoughts and own mind and own will, to be married to them is really hard. For me, it was, and I've told you this before, it was really hard. It got, but it got really, really dark in my life. And I honestly, uh, there was a stretch of my marriage about a few years ago, and I was really open uh, with, with, my, with my community, that I honestly, um, I was in a, such a dark place that I wanted out. I didn't want to be married anymore. I didn't want to do it anymore. It got that hard for me. That I'm like, I, I think I, I, want, I can't do this. There was a season in my life that I was in the hardest place with my vocation here at this church. And the pastorate has never been all that hard at this church, but it always has been challenging. But a, a year and a half ago, it got really, really hard. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to leave. So the thing is, in my weakness, whenever I come through ch- situations that are, are challenging me to where it brings me down, I mean, it cripples me, I want to hit the eject button. I, like, I want out. I can't do this. I can't figure this out. I can't solve this. I want out. And these, the, the, the strange thing is that these happen one year after the next. Year, one year, I was like, I don't know if I can do this marriage. The very next year, I don't know if I can do this job. And I was in the darkest place that I've ever have been. And I read this quote, and I've quoted him a lot over the last year or so. I read this quote, quote from Ronald Roheiser and also Parker Palmer. Both of these spirits. I read a lot of spiritual writers during this time. 
And they both said the same thing in different ways. Rohlheiser said it this way. If you can't get out of something, get deeper into it. That's really profound. That might not land for any of you. Write that down. It will land one day. <laughs> if you can't get out of something, get deeper into it. Parker Palmer says it this way. If you can't get out of it, get into it. Typically, what we are taught to do with difficult, dark places in life and pain and suffering is to manage the pain or lessen the pain. Not always, but most professional services no longer give people ways to endure adversity with patience, but instead, their whole vocabulary that's drawn from business and psychology and medicine is to enable them to manage and reduce and cope with pain and stress or trauma. Or we are taught to look for the cause of pain and then eliminate the cause of pain. That's kind of how what we're, what we're, that's what we're taught. C.S. Lewis sums it up like this. He, he makes this point. He says, for the wise men of old, the cardinal problem had been how to conform the soul to reality. And the solution had been knowledge, self-discipline, and virtue. For modernity, the problem is how to subdue reality to the wishes of men. The solution is a technique. Keep that quote up there for a second. What he's saying is this. And, and he says, for the wise people of old, the problem was this. How do I conform my soul to reality? What's reality? You will suffer. In this world, you will have trouble. This life is hard. And what's the solution? Gain knowledge and wisdom and self-discipline and virtue through the suffering. But what's today? Mod modernity teaches the problem is we have to subdue reality to our wishes. What are our wishes? Comfort, happiness, peace, that sort of thing. I just want the absence of strife. All I want is complete happiness. All I want is complete bliss. And so what we do is we try to subdue reality to our wishes. We try to remove suffering. We try to use the technique to get it out of our lives. I was taught this too. And so I hit a wall when the two things that I've given my life to, my marriage and my vocation, were places where I didn't want to, I didn't want to show up anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. And I went to the darkest places of my, where I, in, my, in my life. And I was taught, I have to manage this. I have to lessen this. I have to eliminate this. But every mental road I went down was a dead end. So I thought, I have to get out then. And then I read this quote. I read this quote, if you can't get out of something, get deeper into it. And I knew I made a commitment to my wife. I stood there at the altar in front of witnesses and my family and God, most importantly, and I, and I vowed. And I knew what my conscience was saying about this church community. And I knew I couldn't get out of either. And so because I couldn't get out of it, I decided I have to dive headlong into it. I have to give myself to it to let God form me through suffering and through pain to form my soul. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want God to chip off every wicked and stupid and silly and sinful and foolish way in me. And I know it's going to take a lifetime, but there's some sort of concentration of it happening during the suffering. I was going to go deeper into my marriage and deeper into this church, and I started to realize what the psalmist was saying, that the only way out of dark places was through dark places. And so that became my saying. That became, this has become my saying. This sermon is really personal to me because this has become my saying over the last, uh, especially the last couple of years. The only way out is through. The only way out of a difficult, difficult season of my life is through a difficult season of my life and to learn every single thing that God is trying to teach me. And I'm happy to say that, honestly, I think I've made it through that season. Now, there are more to come, no doubt. But that season, I've made it through. 
and maybe you're in the middle of it now, would you hear my voice, at least from a little different side of it, maybe from we're traversing up the valley, and I've made it up to the side of the mountain, I'm like, keep going. Like, I've made it through. Like, I've gone through the hardest stuff, and I've made it through. Keep going. The thing, the other thing that suffering does is it humbles us. Or I usually, I put the word mellows. I, think, I love the word mellow. Because I think hu- mellow is a good, is a, is a good um, is another great word to use for humbling. Some of us need humbling. You're like, humbling? You need a mellow. Some of you guys, I mean, mellow might resonate with you more. Mellow. Suffering exposes my unrealistic pride that I'm in control. Suffering doesn't so much make us helpless and out of control. It exposes how you've always been helpless and out of control. That's what it does. And you always needed God. And suffering has a way of melling. I, I was, last week I was at Reality Carpinteria, the church that planted us. And I was teaching, and the text I was given was on Pentecost and Peter's sermon during Pentecost. <clears throat> so I spent some time studying that and diving into Peter's life, and it was really, really fun and good. And one thing I, that stood out to me that I never really saw before was how through the, the darkest place that Peter was ever at, his darkest valley of denial, when he denied Jesus three times, how through that humbling, God mellowed him. And through his, his dark valley, through the Holy Spirit coming upon him, it mellowed his soul. And what that means was, um, Peter was a very self-righteous, self-defending person. So much so, when, when Jesus would say something to him, he would defend himself to Jesus. I mean, who does that? He would defend himself. And so at the Last Supper, Jesus went around like, hey, you guys are all going to leave. The, the, the shepherd's going to be struck and the sheep are going to scatter. And he's like, Psh, I will never leave you. Are, you. are you kidding me? How dare you say this? I would never leave you. How, do you. how dare you say that about me? You don't even know my character. You don't know who I am. Like he just starts doing this thing, right? And Jesus is like, you're going to deny me three times. He's like, I will not. I will die for you. I have a sword. I got you. I have your back. That sort of thing. But we know what happens. And he's restored. And then what's interesting is that after Pentecost, he gets accused again, but he gets accused of um, being drunk. The Holy Spirit comes upon everyone, and everyone is accused of being drunk. And so Peter, the first thing that happens when Peter mellows is that he's joyful and he, he has jokes. <laughs> and it's what he says. He's like, guys, we're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. That's the first thing he says. That's a good joke. And I, and I, 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 find, I, I, I saw it, I'm like, whoa. Old Peter would be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you accused me of being drunk. Don't you know I have the spirit of God? He would just defend himself. But now he's mellow. He's like, guys, I'm not drunk, it's nine. And then he goes into his sermon. Like, that's a, that's a humbling, that's a mellow. Suffering does that. Suffering mellows us out. But we don't take ourselves so seriously. We're just kind of, kind of, it just really, like you, you, and we need to suffer to mellow sometimes. We need life to hit us really hard just so we can mellow out. We could be humbled. Now, why, why this journey through the dark valley? The second thing, this won't take as long, is because I think this is going to be done through our second set of music. In the darkest valley is where you learn to know your God. You, know, you learn to know yourself through suffering, but I think most importantly, you learn to know your God. In this verse, uh, in this, it's in this verse that the pronoun changes from he is my shepherd, he makes me, he leads me, he guides me to the personal pronoun of you and I. 
this is the verse where it gets really intimate. He says, even though I walk through the valley or the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. See how the personal, the, the, the pronoun changes to a personal pronoun? Like it started by saying, oh, he is my shepherd. He makes me, but then it turns to, and you are with me. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Where does this change happen? See, this change only happens in the dark valleys. There's, there's a thing in your life where you're like, yeah, he, God is this, and God is that, and God is this, and yeah, you have that language, and then the personal pro, it changes the personal pronoun. When you go through dark things, all of a sudden it turns to, he is, he's, he's mine, and you, God, are with me. You are mine, and I will follow you, and I will be led by you, and I won't fear because you are my God, and you are with me, and I love you. Like, that, cha- that intimacy switches when we go, this is no accident. During the summer months in the harsh Middle East, shepherds chose to take their sheep to higher ground in distant ranges. And during this time, the, the shepherd is absolutely alone with his sheep. This is where there's the most intimate contact with the shepherd. This is why these verses are couched in such intimate language. When you go through suffering, you learn intimacy with God. It's when we go through pain and suffering, suffering up through the darkest parts of our lives, when all the pretense is shaken off. We're not as in control of the things that we thought we were in control of. We don't have all the answers. Money can't buy us out. Our influence doesn't matter in these dark valleys. The only thing that we have is God. And it's cliche, but it's cliche because it's true. When God is all you have, that's when you realize that God is all you need. And for a life without lack to be real, you need to go through these valleys so you can say that God is truly all you need. You might say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, but I have all these things I really want. But once you realize that God is really your shepherd and you've gone through the darkest places, you realize all I truly need is God. And that doesn't mean you can fill in what you want for the rest of the verses. It means God is enough. I can go through the darkest valley and all I have is God and God is all I need. And I think the point is this. Through pain and through suffering and through difficult loss, there is an invitation to learn God's ways. This is, this is exactly what the rod and the staff represent. The, the, the psalmist says, your rod and your staff. Rod was a thing that, a club that basically a shepherd used to protect the sheep and also to discipline the sheep. And a staff is what he used to, to lead and guide and, and, and nurture the sheep. And what the psalmist is saying is through the dark valleys, I've learned your ways. I've learned how, I've learned to come to love the way you protect me. I've learned to come to love the way you've disciplined me. I've learned to, 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 to grow in love with the way you provide for me and you protect me and that you guide me. Like through the dark valleys, you learn God's ways. Through the dark valleys, you're like, thank you that, for your discipline. Thank you that you discipline me when I'm being completely out of my mind. Thank you that you go after me even when it's like I go wayward. Thank you that you do that. Thank you that your staff grabs me when I'm going wayward and I'm like tangled up into something I shouldn't be tangled and you come and you lead me back. It's through those dark valleys I learned to lo- love God's ways. But I don't, I don't want to be naive. I, I, I don't want to say that we always grow closer to God in dark places of our lives. That's not always true. C.S. Lewis has also famously said, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. And when God shouts in our pain, we can just as well shout back that we hate him that we're mad at him, that we reject him, and we're mad that he doesn't fix things. Suffering can drive us deeper into resentment and bitterness and anger. See, God does speak loudest through our pain, which is why we either choose to ignore him 
and despise him for the pain, or we can draw closer to him. So it's not automatic. There is a choice there. So what do we do? I've pondered this verse for years, like literally for years. Probably almost every month I've thought about this verse from Kanye West and his song, <laughs> Power, right? It's an old song of his. Um, this, seriously, my wife hates his music, but she likes his verse, so it's got to be somewhat good, right? <clears throat> he says this. And I, by the way, I think that Kanye West is like the secular millennial prophet, and I think this is it right here. <laughs> he says this. He says in the song, Power, reality is catching up with me, taking my inner child, I'm fighting for custody. That's such a great line. With all these responsibilities that they entrusted me as I look down at my diamond-encrusted piece. So here's what's going on. This is, I think this is the millennial struggle right here. This is a struggle that every single millennial in here is go, goes through in life. What happens when life completely hits you hard? When life destroys you, when reality catches up with you, and all the innocent little chi inner child thing that you have, like, oh, the world's going to be great, and I can change the world to become what I want it to be, and I can do what I want to do, all this. When all, when all of it comes crashing down, and you realize that that inner child is gone, you've been knocked down by life, and the purpose of your life, which was happiness and comfort, and you grew up with everyone telling you can be anything you want to be, and you realize that is not true. You can't be anything you want to be, and the harsh reality of life knocks you on your bottom. What do you do? How do you grow from that? What do you do from that? And this is, I think, the struggle here. Reality is catching up with him. This, all this inner child of innocence and creativity is going away, and he's fighting for Christ. He's trying to keep it. He has all these responsibilities of life. You hit your 30s. You have, like, resp real responsibilities in life. What do you do? Put that back up. What do you do with these responsibilities? <laughs> it's, it's that good. I'm not done yet. What do you do with all these responsibilities? that everyone's putting upon you, like, what do I do? I don't want, to, I don't want all these responsibilities. What do you do? This, I think this is the millennial angst right here. And he says, I look down at my diamond encrusted piece. Now, by the way, this is one of his famous double entendres. Uh, a diamond encrusted piece can obviously mean a gun, like a diamond, like diamond inlaid gun. And so option one is to fight your way out. And I think this is what a lot of us do. We fight our way out. We rage against the darkness. We don't go silently into the night. We shoot our way out of the thing. We will get out of this thing. We will fight. We, we will fight to keep our, our innocence. We will fight to keep all the dreams. We'll fight. We'll keep doing that. But the way Kanye West says diamond, diamond is a double entendre. He actually says dying man. As I look down on my dying man in Crested Peace. This can also mean referring to a giant flavor flay sized cross that he has that's all diamond encrusted crucifix. I don't know why he has it. But he says, I can look down at my dying man crucifix. Now, the point being, he can either fight this or look to the cross. Now, by the way, I don't think Kanye is the best example for looking to the cross, but that's a whole different sermon. <laughs> but this is what, this, is what this, this does. When you hit life, when life just hits you and you're like, oh my gosh, this is not what everyone said in my elementary school, you know, welcome back from summer uh, uh, assembly, like, you can be anything you want to be in this school, you, whatever. And life hits you, and it's not, you realize, I don't know if that's true. You can, like, keep fighting. You can try to fight your way out of this. You can kick and fight against darkness. You can shoot your way out, or you can look to the cross. See, some of the greatest things come from the darkest places. The strange truth is that all new life comes out of dark places. A womb, a seed buried in the earth, the darkness of Good Friday, 
Jesus on the cross, the tomb, into the radiance of Easter. This is, this is the way God brings new life. This is, this is the pattern. This is the pattern that Jesus himself subjected himself to in, on the cross dying for us. This is the pattern that you give your life over, that you, that you like fully submit to this dark place and go, God, have your way with this dark place in my life. I look to the cross for my strength and my energy and my life. I look to it and I accept, I accept it, I receive it. Bring me through the dark places, God, and teach me what I need to know. And when you find that that is true, you will come to appreciate the darkest places of your life. You will come to, not in a, in a, in a sick way, but in a very healthy way, learn that the nearness of God is found there. In these dark places, in the dark places of pain and loss in your life. And you will learn to say, and this is what Charles Spurgeon, the, the famous uh, uh, preacher, uh, said. He said this, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. That's, that's real good. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against. I have learned to embrace the darkness that draws me closer to Christ. I have learned to embrace the suffering and the loss and the pain that brings me all the way in front to the foot of the cross. I've learned to do that. And you might not be there now, but maybe one day as you've gone through the valley of the shadow of death, you can say, I fear no evil for God is with me. And I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me up against this rock, the rock of ages. Let's pray. God, I thank you that this is true stuff. I pray that if this doesn't resonate with um, anyone that's listening to me, that eventually one day it would click, that this is true, that this is reality, that you are, that this life is hard and painful at times, and in this world we will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world that you, Christ, are our deliverer, that you are the one who brings us through this and can form us and shape us and mellow us and confront us and expose all that stuff. And so I just say yes to it, God. I pray, as we prayed this, uh, this afternoon before the gathering, that you would release a whole bunch of people into our church that have gone through suffering so that we can comfort one another. I pray that you would grow in us a capacity for empathy for this world when we suffer that you would mellow us, Lord, that we see this life and we're just mellow in our response, that this is life and Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. And God will, will enact his justice and God will come through. God will be with us. Mellow us, God. I don't, I don't know, Lord, if you're going to if there's going to be necessarily breakthrough for people, like they might go home or leave this place with the same amount of suffering they came in with. But I pray that you'd be with them. I pray the breakthrough would be that my God is with me and he's leading me through suffering. Money can't buy us out, God. Our influence can't buy us out, can't get us out. Sometimes we just have to go through it with you. So I pray that we would hold on we would hold on to you because I know you're holding on to us, God. Like that song that we sing says, when the night is, I forget how it goes, something about how you're holding on. <laughs> we'll sing it later. Lord, you know this song. 
We make that true, God. Make that song, whatever that is, true in our lives. We respond to you in honesty and in gratitude and just, I pray we just be honest with you. Like, we just don't know where we're at. We're so overwhelmed and we just be honest. We just be okay with being honest tonight with where we're at. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.